You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Mike Massaro. Mike is the CEO of Flywire, a publicly traded payments enablement and software company. Flywire delivers payment solutions to more than 3,000 clients across massive sectors of the global economy, including education, healthcare, travel, and B2B industries. Mike's been named Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young and is one of the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. I love that title. Most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs. So you know this is going to be a really good show. Having spent the last 20 years in tech, Mike is also an active investor and advisor within the tech ecosystem and is passionate about leading teams to high growth. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Laura. Excited to be here. Tell us first, before we get into all the leadership information that we know we're going to get out of this conversation, what's your fun fact? Uh, so my fun fact is uh, I'm actually married to the woman I've been dating since I was 15 years old. So we've actually been together nearly 30 years and have four boys, which a lot of people uh, are shocked to find out about. <laughs> and it's a happy marriage very with happy. four boys and 30 years. That's amazing. A little crazy household, but very happy. If it wasn't, I think I'd be worried. With four boys, it's, and I'm guessing that your uh, grocery bill every week looks kind of like a college tuition bill. You got it. Lots of milk. <laughs> Lots of milk. Nice, nice. Well, congratulations on the uh, successful marriage and family life and everything else. It's uh, sadly uncommon nowadays. So it really is something that's role model in and of itself. Now, tell us from your perspective, a little bit more about your work and Flywire. What's your 30 second elevator pitch? Yeah, so Flywire is at the intersection of software and payments. We really go after certain industries that have kind of been left behind with payment technology. So we all know kind of tapping and paying when we go into a store or really easy e-commerce transactions, sometimes too easy to buy stuff online. Mm. Flywire focuses on other sectors of the global economy, things like education, tuition payments, healthcare bills, certain types of business-related payments. Those are areas that have really outdated payment experiences, and we really help our clients modernize those through a combination of software and payment technology. And what's considered outdated? What does that mean for the average person who just swipes credit cards and yeah. pays bills? Yeah. So if you've you know, if you've ever paid a tuition bill or tried to uh, maybe pay a healthcare bill, uh, you'll be inundated by paper. You'll get to a web experience if you're lucky. And it will look like 1999 internet and it won't have really convenient ways to pay. It won't communicate with you maybe when you have an overdue balance in the right way. That's typically what those industries are dealing with when it comes to the outdated technology. It's kind of like you're asking me for money. I'm trying to give you money. Why are you making my life difficult? I, something's missing in this. Exactly right. Yep. Do you want it or not? Because if not, I'm happy to keep it. So don't make me have to choose. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your job and why? You know, what I absolutely love, and I was fortunate early in my career to kind of experience this in the inverse, but I actually love watching our Flymates, our employees really grow and develop, right? The company has gone on this amazing growth expansion over the last 10 years. And the number of Flymates that have done different things throughout that experience, they may have started in one part of the company, they may have 
evolved into two or three different roles. And, uh, you know, that to me is, is amazing. You know, often heard it said that a tech company is like a career in dog years, right? One or two years in a high growth tech company can have actually a multiplier effect on someone's career. So getting to see that firsthand and, and being part of creating that for so many, you know, over a thousand people is pretty awesome. So, you know, that's one of the things that gets me up every day. I just love seeing people grow and do amazing things in a company that can invest in them. I think that's a frustration for a lot of people is feeling like they they're in a job. They may even enjoy it, but is there truly growth opportunity and do things how quickly do things change or you know if you're a creature of habit and you like continuity and you don't like change then tech is probably not the right field, but if you are looking for more opportunity, looking to learn, looking to constantly challenge yourself, it seems like that's definitely an industry to look into. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think I think that's the kind of the beauty of the space. Oftentimes you get asked to do things you never should have been asked to do based on your experience level. Mm. And that that's what happened to me. I mean, personally, in, in my experience, you know, I got opportunities I should have never been given based on, you know, my age, seniority, experience level, you know, my 20s and 30s. And it allowed me to, you know, really have an awesome career and and to be able to kind of replicate that for others has been really a special part of Flower. You know, that's something that it strikes me as relevant to job hunting as well or job seeking for those who look at job posts and may think, well, you know, of these 10 qualifications that they say they want in the candidate, I only have six. So maybe I shouldn't apply for it, yet I'm not qualified. And yet what you're describing here in these fast-paced, fast-growth industries where things are changing so quickly and unpredictably in many ways that the real skill that people are looking for is, all right, maybe you don't have the exact experience, but can you figure it out? Are you scrappy? Are you resourceful? Are you willing to try? Are you willing to seek help, seek input, seek guidance in some way, and then figure out how to do it yourself? Am I hearing that that's a really important skill set and maybe personality trait and just willingness? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I I go back to a real, real life example at Flywire. I mean, I remember we were probably 70, 80 employees. We were doing our first acquisition of a company. And I remember walking into the room and one of our flymates who joined us in one part of the company was on our short list of people like, if we acquire this company, who do we airdrop into this other country to be our representative to help this company feel like they're part of Flywire? And I remember going into that room and talking to a flymate who was two or three years into their career and saying, you know, what do you do in this weekend? Do you want to, you want to go to London and, uh, <laughs> and represent the company? And, and, you know, that one moment as one example, looking back on that person's career tra- trajectory, they said yes. You know, they were nervous. They didn't know if they had the skills to do it, but they did an amazing job. They stayed there even longer and were a reason that deal worked for us. So, you know, I think those opportunities present themselves in, in high growth companies. And if you're, if you're there and you're willing to say yes and take a challenge, it can do great things for your career. Note to self, everybody, look for those opportunities. And even if they're scary, that's what it's all about, you know, stepping up to the plate, taking opportunity. You know, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity, not when perfection meets opportunity. You're never going to be fully ready. It's like, and Mike, you can attest to this if it's an accurate analogy or not, but like marriage or having kids, you could say, I got to wait till I'm ready. Is that anybody ever truly ready? Are you ever ready to start a business? Are you ever ready to have kids? You may think you are, you're not, but you do it anyway. For sure. <laughs> all right. So tell us a little bit about what is today at Flywire. What's one of the biggest issues that you're facing and how do you have to adjust your approach when you personally are talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the things that's just so present in the world and it's present at Flywire is just this really unusual macroeconomic climate, right? So we've transitioned from a private company for the last 18, 24 months into a public company. And one thing that everybody sees out there is the uncertainty, everything from employment market to tech companies being pushed to be more profitable in their business models. And so for us, that's top of mind, right? We have this new audience of public market investors we have to speak to. We have our flymates, our employees, who obviously have lots of questions. They see all different types of companies struggling in the current market. They see friends and family being laid off at other jobs. And I think that's a real top of mind topic for us, right? You have to explain to public market investors how you're growing profitably and how your business works from an economic perspective and why it's important to keep investing, but you're being smart with those investments. And then you have to answer all types of questions from employees and, you know, talk about job security, talk about how you're going to still invest in their teams or their areas and go after opportunity, but do so in a smart way. That climate shift has really been something that's really top of mind for everybody. And and I think it's a good example of how your communication has to be to different stakeholders. And you may have different hot buttons, if you will, from those stakeholders, but you got to be really clear and crisp in how you communicate. Absolutely. Clear and crisp, but focused on the audience. And speaking of different audiences, who's the toughest audience you had to ever get through to? What did you do to finally break through? Yeah, for me, it was probably uh, in, in businesses we've acquired, right? If you think of that stakeholder, you know, I've had to go and explain to someone why it makes sense to maybe consider selling their company. And that's a unique audience, right? In my experience, you're talking to someone that may have spent five or 10 or 15, 20 years building a company and they're sitting across the table from you and you're talking about the potential future of combining their company with our company. And when I sit in that position across the table from someone like that, you really have to understand what motivates that person. I had to sit there and really take that in and make sure I was hearing that. What motivates their team? What do they potentially want? And what does their team want? What do I want? And really navigate that conversation in a way that can come out with a good outcome. And that varies by person, right? And by company, whether they want to stay on with the company for a long period of time, whether they're looking to leave and retire at a next point. So really understanding their motivation, understanding what I need for the business, what I need for Flywire, that's probably one of the most challenging sets of communication. And, and I've had to do it maybe three or four times over the last I guess, five, six years in businesses we've acquired. And it was definitely a unique interaction that I had to deal with and continue to have to deal with. When you're looking at, so we're talking in the M&A space here, the mergers, acquisitions, et cetera. When you're having these conversations with the owners about, do you want to sell your company because we would like to buy it or at least explore this opportunity? What are some of the patterns that you see with regard to what you just mentioned as far as what do they want? What are their big hesitations? What would you say is the top motivating factor or resistance point for that matter? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complex dialogue, right? Because it's sometimes just that founder or founders on their side. Sometimes there's a whole investor group with them. In my experience, what, what I've dealt with is, is that combination where it's been a bootstrapped business and they own the whole thing. I've also dealt with ones where they have an investor group that they also have to deal with and get what they want out of the negotiation. But more often than not, what I've seen is that it comes down to, you know, is it a right fit? Does it make logical sense for 
these two companies to come together? And do you want, do you want the employees? Do you want the business, right? Do you just want the customers? Do you just want the revenue, right? People that, that look at that kind of negotiation and think, do they really want us as people or do they just want our customers and our revenue? And we always go into deals at Flywire really looking at that whole package and saying, we're not going to do just a, do a deal for revenue or for customers. We really want the people as well, right? And usually there's a subject matter expertise there. And my job in those situations is to communicate that to the company. And, and it doesn't always go well. I can remember one example where uh, we were talking to a company, it was probably seven, eight years ago, I and mean, we ended up getting the deal done. But the CEO called me and said, it's kind of leaked out to our team that, that a deal's about to happen and my team's nervous. They think they're all going to lose their jobs. And I actually had to get on an airplane much against every bit of advice I got from you know legal counsel and everybody else to go meet the team. There were only about 10 employees. I had to sit across the table from them. I took all the questions they had. And this was before the deal was even finalized or negotiated. And it was one of those examples where you had to be present, you had to be ready to communicate and answer any question they had, or the deal probably wouldn't have happened. And so again, for me, that was a, that was a really important learning that I had to actually do that. I had to go sit across the table, hear their feedback, answer their questions, and really represent why we were doing the deal myself. Yeah, and it's interesting. Normally, we, of course, want to, we listen to our compliance teams, we listen to our advisory groups, we listen to whatever else for all the obvious reasons. Sometimes you just have to go with the heart. And if you realize that the biggest resistance is the fear that, especially in a small company like that, where 10 people, that's a family. These are people who everybody knows each other's names, each other's kids, each other's everything. And, and to have that kind of fear of just being, knowing that you could be dumping that entire family, the owner's going to want to protect their family. The owner's going to want to protect their people. And I think it shows such heart on your part to be willing to say, you know what, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to talk to them as people. I'm going to treat them as people. I want them to feel like they are people that we respect them and we want what's in everybody's best interest, not just what's going to turn a profit. And I would imagine that was something that really that the feedback that you got was probably very validated. I mean, you, you purchased the company, so obviously it worked. But beyond just the, okay, did it work on paper? What kind of response did you get afterwards as a result of that? Well, I, I mean, one of the best things that I, I realized is that, you know, time really told me how well that worked, right? If you look eight, nine years later, pretty much that whole team is still wow. here and they're in leadership positions across the company, right? So if you think of making that decision to go kind of against a bunch of advice, not only did we get the deal done, but you know we grew that business exceptionally over the years. Those people grew into different leadership roles inside the company. And to me, that's that's kind of the best result you could get. That's amazing. That's and what a great what a great testimonial to the power of human connection, even you know under the pressure of business and stakeholders and investors and all that kind of stuff. And where you can make it a win win when you start from the human element. What's an important lesson that you learned when you went from being an individual contributor to leading your first team? Oh man, so many, so many lessons. You know, I think for me, I learned that if you don't set the narrative, the narrative is probably going to be set for you. And, you know, in, in my experience with a company, especially a growing company and in a position of leadership, you have to realize communicating and almost over communicating is critical, right? So I, I have to think about how frequently I say something, right? And is it actually resonating with the audience I'm delivering it to? right? It doesn't matter how many times I say something. It matters whether the audience is actually taking that in. And if it isn't, that's my problem, not the audience's problem, right? And I've got to re-communicate that message. And so to give you, a, give you a real example, I mean, think about an all-company meeting at Flywire. It's a thousand plus people, over 40 nationalities, mm. all around the globe. 
And I'm up there with our executive team sharing the latest going on in the company. But if you think of what's happening, 10% of that company is probably on PTO. Mm. Another 5 to 10% of the company has something going on at work or at home that probably has them distracted. There's 20% of the company that is not getting that message, right? And that's that's assuming the other, you know, 80% of the company is it's sinking through that we're doing an effective job that I'm doing an effective job communicating. Um, if they're remote, of course, you have to deal with that whole, uh, are they multitasking, which is sure. the norm nowadays, who's actually paying attention versus who's checking email while listening or who's doing something else uh, digitally or otherwise. So that's, it's such a challenge for everybody. So, okay, how do you overcome that? Yeah. And so for, for me, uh, you know, I've had to think differently about how frequently I communicate. I feel like, Hey, I've said this seven times. And mm. it, it, again, it isn't how many times I say it. It's how many times it resonates. And am I putting my communication out in a way that can be consumed by different stakeholders in different ways? And so one example, uh, not only will we do an all company or, you know, we'll do our earnings call, which is a public call that everyone can listen to, but we'll follow up with posts. We'll follow up with a short video. I'll record a video that's 30 or 60 seconds, that's much more casual, explaining the headlines from that earnings call, talking about key themes. Sometimes I'll just schedule a 15-minute Zoom session is one of my favorite things to do where I'll just drop it in internal messaging system like Slack and say, hey, I'm on this Zoom for the next 30 minutes, anybody that wants to join. And you'll get different people who have availability around the world hopping in and asking you various questions, right? And you can re-communicate some of these ideas. And so for me personally, one of the hardest things has been realizing that it isn't how many times I communicate, it's really how the audience hears it and whether they're receiving the message and I'm giving it to them in enough different forms and enough frequency for it to really resonate because there's so much, so many things competing for their attention inside and outside the company. Yes. And I think that's so important. I want to really stress that to everybody else hearing it. It's not about, did I say it once and was I clear? But the the more people you have, the more time zones, the more roles, the more requirements. We do all have different, I mean, we talk plenty about who's got different communication styles. Well, there's communication styles, but there's also learning modalities. Who does better when they read it? Who does better when they hear it? Who does better when they get to talk to you and and ask the questions and have it come through? And there's that natural tendency for all of us, I think, who are, well, let's call it what it is, busy. (laughs) Our calendars look like Tetris boards or, or checkerboards or whatever it is, just chunks of colors and blocks everywhere. There's no time to breathe, much less think sometimes. So the natural tendency, I think, is to say, oh, but do I have to? I already said it three. I already did this. I already. Why do I have to do it again? Well, because you do. That's kind of the simple way. And for those, I love that you said you make videos. Everybody knows I'm a big fan of video communications. Make your little asynchronous video that you can then post on the company board, that you can send via email, that you can post in the Slack channel, a 30-second message, a 60-second message, or something that's longer. It could be a 30-second intro. And then once you get the gist, okay, click the next link to go to the fuller version when you have time, but at least you know what the longer video is going to be about. There's so many ways to communicate. You can do an audio message. It doesn't even have to be with video. Click the audio recorder, but different different modalities, different pieces of tech, not just all text. And I know there are a lot of people who are going, no, I don't like to record. I hate the sound of my voice. Get over it. If you lead with the, I don't like listening to myself, that's going to translate and people are going to go, oh, then I guess I won't like listening to you either because if you don't like listening to yourself, why do you think I would? Why would I want to go into something that's going to be unpleasant for me? Own your voice, own your message. And I think, Mike, you're you're demonstrating beautifully how to do that in every way possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for modeling that for everybody. Welcome. Did it, was it hard? Was it a natural 
decision to shift into video, into audio, instead of just texting everything? Was it weird? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a closet introvert by nature. And so I always say I, I fake it well, but don't like being out there. Uh, and it, I know that's unusual to say as a public market CEO, but it's the reality. It was not, it was something that I had to really focus on. I continue to have to focus on and really be out there and be more visible because that's what the company demands and what, what I think is the right thing to do for, for the team. Can you give us a tip or two for those out there who are closeted or not so closeted introverts or who just maybe extroverts but still hate seeing themselves on video or feel weird or feel like the perfectionist kicks in and so they don't like to do it because a 30 second or one minute video will take them a year to prepare and over edit, edit, edit. What's a tip you can give to them? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a couple of things. One, first practice, you know, there's also some really cool tech out there you can use, you know, some of which that will kind of put kind of mini teleprompter up near the camera and allow you to put a few talking points in it and have, have your favorite. Of, uh, I actually, so big, big VU uh, is actually the app I use. And big it's, or pig? Know, Big, B-I-G-V-U. Okay. Uh, it's in the App Store, okay. at least on Apple. So I use that one. I, I've liked it. Uh, it allows you to kind of edit. You can put little messages at the bottom of the videos and stuff before you export. And you can do multiple takes. Uh, I'd also say, um, you know, not only in addition to practice, but everybody has a different way in which they need to prepare for video. Some people are great at just reading script. Other people just need guideposts. And I found myself... I'm not really a script reader, right? So if I go in to record a video, say it's 30 or 60 seconds, if you just give me three or four kind of crisp bullets, I can make the logical transition. And I sound more authentic. I sound more like myself when I do that. And so it isn't trying to perfect every word or look like I'm reading a script. I'm coming across a little more direct, authentic, approachable, I think. So I think everyone has to figure out, are they better off reading and scripting every word? Are they better off kind of ad-libbing and they just need some guideposts? Whatever's most authentic to them. Thank you for those great examples that I love. I'll, in the show notes, we'll put down the links. Of, I'll find, is it Big View, I guess, that's for the teleprompter? There's lots of great ones out there, teleprompter or PowerPrompter Express, and there's a few others. But yes, everybody, you're going to have to try different things. One day, try the scripting out. One day, try the outline. One day, try this and that. Don't aim for perfection. Aim for accurate. Aim for authentic. You're not aiming for an Oscar. That's Definitely. not what this is about. And it's one thing to not be good at reading scripts. Most of us, frankly, aren't good at writing them. We write accurate. We write email. We write reports. We don't write dialogue. So we rarely are good at writing something that even if we do read it smoothly, sounds like the way that we naturally talk, which is what makes it sound awkward and stiff and doesn't roll off the tongue. So uh, that's part of the challenge and why I would definitely recommend, even if you write it all out first, then when you create your script, just bullet the key points because you'll go in, you have the gist of what you wrote out previously, but you're not glued to those words that aren't really going to be yours. You'll be much more authentic if you ad lib just a little bit. Would you say that sounds about accurate, Mike? Yeah, so true. Yep, very accurate. All right. So that I think really is a challenge in and of itself, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to levy one more directly at the audience. It's time for our 24 hour listener influence challenge. Your turn to ask them directly or challenge them directly. What's one step that they can take within 24 hours, complete in 24 hours to have more influence? All right. So this one is something it's close to my heart. Uh, it's something I, I wear on my wrist on the bracelet. It's a flywire value. It's called fulfillment. And what I mean by checking your fulfillment is the challenge is it's to me, what makes you fulfilled personally and what makes you fulfilled professionally. And one of the things over my 20 plus year career is how disconnected people get 
for a whole number of factors with what makes them fulfilled. And so I'll give you a couple examples. On the personal side, maybe it's time with your family or it's traveling to new places. Maybe it's a hobby or a sport you like to do. Whatever those personal things are that make you fulfilled, write down the top three. On the professional side, similar, right? We all have parts of our job we love doing and want to do more. We also have parts in which we don't like, right? And so put down those three professional activities that when you're doing those, you're the most fulfilled professionally. And then I challenge you to to figure out why that is and, and why you're either not getting enough of those personal or professional fulfillment areas, because that's really your chance to change it. And what I've found in my experience is that I used to get really mad at myself or kind of almost blame the environment I was in. Oh, I have to work, you know, X number of hours. I, you know, haven't got my workout in or, you know, um, too many, you know, evening dinners or, you know, work trips, not enough family time. And what, what I shifted to is just identifying what the top three personal, top three professional things that drove my fulfillment and then made sure when I wasn't doing enough of those, I found a way to kind of hack myself back into it. And so it could be as simple for me on the personal side. It was take off a Friday afternoon, take off a Monday, right? Make a long weekend with the family and just get back to kind of that focus time or protect my mornings better so I can get in that morning workout. You can make real change, but you have to define what those things are that make you fulfilled. And they aren't the same things at age 22 that potentially would have, that make you fulfilled when you're 42. And so it's something you have to kind of check in in your career and your life. And I'd encourage people, if you haven't done that, you know, if you have those kind of stressful moments, some people talk about it as work-life balance, which I actually really hate. The question is, are you fulfilled or not, right? Everyone has a different balance equation and needs different things to be fulfilled. But so often I find, uh, and I found personally, that I didn't do enough defining of what that is, uh, what those top three things were in each professional and personal. So important to, to distinguish between the balance versus the fulfillment in both, because you can hypothetically have work-life balance in that you're spending as much time as you need at your work and as much time as you need with your family. But if neither is bringing you joy because of how you're using that time, okay, something needs to change. And so to distinguish both and make that joy or fulfillment distinction, I I think that's terrific, really important because we tend to forget that. For sure. And, you know, I always give another example too, for me personally, you know, if I'm on vacation, it's not uncommon for me to make a call or two, even while I'm on vacation. It's always what I've done. I absolutely enjoy what I do and it doesn't drive my wife crazy. She knows that's who I am. It actually doesn't goof up my personal, you know, vacation time. But like things like that are important to understand about yourself. It isn't about drawing this line and like work and personal she'll never meet. It really comes down to like, are you fulfilled? Are the people in your life fulfilled with kind of how you're interacting with them? And, and I think just taking assessment of that, I think is really important because life changes, you know, what priorities you do have. And sometimes you don't reassess. Yes. Yes. Okay. Reassess. That's your keyword. That's your 24 hour influence challenge. Write yourself down your key requirements or what you need to figure out where that fulfillment is personally and professionally. Mike, what's a mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? A communications-related mistake. Just just one mistake I've made? Uh, there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> Pick a favorite. So, I don't know how much time we have, Laura. So, uh, you know, I'd probably go back to, you know, I was first-time CEO 10 years ago and stepping into that role in my early 30s, you know, I actually brought with me probably a, a bit of uncertainty around managing people who were had more experience than I did, more seniority, more age. And it 
probably governed my communication style too much, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I, I in somewhat felt kind of imposter syndrome, you know, here I am, like never done this role before. I mean, the company was almost bigger than anything I'd ever been a part of, not to mention lead. And so you can kind of imagine that situation I was dealing with. And you would often end up going in and being like, this person has more experience than me. They must know better than I do. What don't I get? What, you know, what don't I understand about the situation? And what I learned over time is that you know, that age, that seniority, that experience isn't a governor to what's the right thing to do in the given situation. And so looking back, I realized I actually had the right answer and I wasn't fully delivering the answer in in my communication to those individuals, whether it was potential, you know, performance, whether it was a cultural issue or conflict that was happening. You know, I was kind of beating around the bush in the communication, if you will, and not really hitting hitting the issue head on, partially because I felt like I must be missing something. This person has more experience than I do. And so that was, that's something if I, if I could get a do over, I'd go back and be more direct in those early interactions as a first time CEO. And I think people forget that you can be direct and respectful at the same time. That's the definition of diplomacy, right? To be able to make a point without making an enemy is, I believe, the definition that uh, Howard Newton had given a hundred years ago or so. And I'm so glad that you referenced the imposter syndrome because I think that is something that women often talk about in women's groups and in women's leadership and often minorities will discuss. But this is from a, you know, from a white male. This is something that we realize is really a universal concept. And so if it's something that you're struggling with, that that feeling and the imposter syndrome, we've mentioned it once or twice here on the show before, but, you know, I think a general definition for anybody who's not familiar with it out there is it's referenced as the fear of being exposed as a fraud. The fear that someone will say, how'd you get there? You don't belong there. You're not worthy of that spot. You're not ready. You're not enough. And we, the whole point is every time you take a new step, you have to prove yourself. We discussed earlier as far as taking new jobs, applying for jobs, accepting opportunities when you're only maybe 75% ready. Of course, which 75% may be really, really important. But in the end, there's going to be a learning curve. If there's no learning curve when you're taking a new role, why did you take it? That's not really much of a challenge or an opportunity in in a lot of ways. So expect that that's going to cause some natural friction in growth and figuring out, okay, now what? So that's great modeling and great example. So thank you for bringing that up and saying, look, I did it and there were mistakes along the way, but here's how I handled it. And here's where I didn't handle it great, but where everybody else can learn from my mistakes. So thank you for sharing that. Let's see. Let's jump into the space of now grooming others for those leadership opportunities, if someone in your organization wanted to move up into a senior leadership role, aside from their technical expertise, what's one skill they'd have to demonstrate and why? You know, for me, when I think of someone moving up into more of a leadership role and, you know, at Flywire, me personally, I always segment leadership and management. You know, I always say, you know, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. And we have kind of unique paths for leaders to be individual contributors and doesn't govern their title or their compensation or their influence inside the company. And so when I look at kind of leadership, I look at it as people who do manage and then just other people who are who are leaders in the company from a seniority influence title perspective as well. And one thing I always say is, you know, call it the elevator test, the subway test. If you run into someone, say it's an investor, a board member, a client, a partner on the subway or in an elevator, 
you know, how do you represent the company? Say you're wearing, you know, a company t-shirt and they recognize it and they talk to you and they ask you about the company. How does that person interact with that individual, right? You know, how do they talk about the company? How do they represent the company? And I think when you look for people to kind of go into that next level of visibility, whether it's a people manager and a leadership role, I think that's important, right? Do they represent the, the values of the company? Do they understand the culture? How do they speak about colleagues, maybe not in their department? You know, do they have knowledge of the broader business or are they just isolated in their domain or their department? I think as you get to that broader influence, either managing people or in more of an individual contributor leadership type role, I think it's really important as to how you're able to speak about the company, about the priorities of the company, and about how the whole company functions. And so that's one thing that we try and work on. um, And I try and help develop in people is that they need to be more aware of everything going on inside the company, not within their just domain. So it sounds like it's really about branding. Are you representing the brand of excellence, the brand, including the culture, the values, all of those pieces? Do you represent the brand as a natural part of your being at this point? Yeah. And ownership too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, they're in a position of influence and, you know, do they have a feeling of ownership, not just of, you know, their department uh, or their function, but the whole company, right? And is that how they operate? And that means, you know, understand the culture, understand the values, living those values and, and kind of being an external brand of those values. Yes. Okay. Everyone take this to heart. Do you represent the values, the culture, the principles, et cetera, of the company when you talk about it? I think that's terrific. So Mike, I would love to have another half hour to talk to you about all sorts of additional things, but we are just about out of time here. So how can people learn more about you and Flywire if they want to follow up? Sure. People can check out flywire.com. You can also check out what was probably my favorite, which is our Instagram feed inside Flywire. It gives people a view of uh, what day-to-day life inside the company is like and what our flymates, uh, over a thousand flymates around the world are up to, which is probably my favorite thing to look at. I love the word flymates. I think that's a great uh, term for as opposed to employees or something more generic along those lines. That's fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really terrific and I can't wait to check out some of these new uh, applications like Bigview. It sounds like fun too. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Laura. Really fun. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. As always, be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so yet so that you never miss an episode moving forward. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health 
family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.